For the latest in Australian and World Rally news, join me, Luke Witten, from Rally Sport Magazine on the Special Stage Rally Podcast every week. It's news, insight and analysis with big names in the sport joining us regularly to talk rallying of all sorts. Catch the Special Stage Rally Podcast now, available via the Motorsport Podcast Network on all your regular podcast apps. Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Noonan. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now we're back bigger and better in 2020, with new episodes coming out every week during the supercar season. We'll have a mix of race review episodes, Q&As, and features on classic cars, plus our highly popular sit-down chats with legends and stars from the sport. And that brings me to our guest on this episode. Jason Bargwana joins me on the V8 Sleuth podcast, and we caught up with Bargs at Gary Rogers Motorsport as he gears up for a season in TCR Australia. Now, there's plenty of highlights from our chat with the 2000 Bathurst winner. The little white lie, actually a very big fat one, that he told his bank to get his first race car. He talks about his time in the Peter Jackson search for a champion competition. The job that Gary Rogers gave him in his dealership when Bargs started racing for GRM. And he tells us a bit more about the story when he and Greg Murphy tangled and confronted one another at Phillip Island in 2002. And of course, stay tuned for your Couch Racer questions. This year brought to you by our good mates at the National Motor Racing Museum of Mount Panorama Bathurst. Once again, they've turned up some gold, including how he was really lucky that the 1992 Bathurst 1000 finished when it did. I'll let him tell you the full story. So, here we go. Buckle up, it's time to start. Jason Bargwana on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Timken. Jason Bargwana on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. We are sitting in the office at Gary Rogers Motorsport. Now, this is not the GRM building that you would have known from your, your previous iteration with, with GRM, but I'm looking on the walls. There's a bit of you everywhere here. There, there is. It's um, no, definitely not the same building. Uh, back in the day... When I first uh, joined Gary, we were at the back of the car dealership there in Glen Waverley, and uh, and the team's evolved obviously into this uh, purpose-built facility down here in Dandenong. So yes, when you do walk up the stairs here to the uh, to the boardroom, it's nice to see the. Uh, I've been a small part of GRM's success over the years. I see on the wall lots of Valvoline Commodores, and there's so many things we wanted to talk to about to you on this podcast. It's 20 years since you won Bathurst with this Is team and, and Garth years? Tander. What's the standout? memory for you from that day? Uh, is it 20 years? It's 20 it's years. 20 years. Two th- November 2000. Actually, if you, you can actually see the car if you look through the window it's out there. Here. Yeah, it's here. Yeah, yeah. GRM still have that car. Yeah. Um, the, the, the standout, I mean, I remember the, the start of the race, obviously, um, being quite nervous. Uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure. We knew we were in a, a shot to win. And it was quite off. I, didn't, I don't get very nervous at the start of race meetings, but for that one, it was... Um, I just felt like on that day, we kind of had this feeling that we knew we could do this. We knew it was on. And that first stint, um, pouring rain. I remember driving off the start, down to turn one, heading up to Mountain Straight, pulling gears, not being able to see anything out the windscreen, looking out the side window, passing cars that you couldn't even see, red lights flashing past you, um, you, you know, and that really set the tone for the day. But there's a lot of good parts about that day. I think the... 
the little incident that happened with uh, I think it was Matt Neal and uh, Cromley and Scaife. Don't mention it to Neil. I don't Neil, think he's Neil, got over it. Like for me, that was a real turning point in our day. That you know the pressure was on all of us that day, and we were in the hunt. But at that point, I just watched that happen, and I, and I don't know how to explain this, but I just knew we had the day one. We were going to win, and it was at um, lap one hundred three or one hundred thirteen or whatever just, it was. Really, it, the way our day. So that were the two out. cars you felt were the biggest threats: the HRT Scaife car and the the Crompton Seaton. Absolutely, that was that yeah. was where the day was, and and to see that happen and unfold the way it did, um, it just there was this overwhelming feeling that we're going to win this thing, and. Um, yeah, I mean, as the day panned out. And look, it, there was certainly points during the course of the day with Radisic at the end there that you knew, um, yeah, we really needed the weather to change at the right time in terms of our strategy, but it did. And and we went from slicks, to, you know, wets to slicks, I should say, right at the, the critical moment with fuel and it, and it worked out really fine. Do I remember right that Garth ended up getting cooked by that car in he the did. late? He's, he got his backside cooked? I mean, we've all been through it and these supercars, they, they're very hot. Uh, we've all had burnt feet and burnt bits and pieces, but because him and I had a uh, slight difference in height, really, the seating was a bit different to where it normally would be. Um, <laughs> so his butt was very low in the seat, very close to the exhaust, and he ended up with blisters on his bum. But uh, in the end, we said, "Mate, you'll be right." Harden up, and uh, and he made it to the end without a drama. He was he was quite cooked on the uh, literally cooked on the podium there. And then, uh, and uh, yeah, had to get a bit of tending to, but uh, yeah, that's just part of what we do. There's so much ground to cover on our V8 Sleuth podcast, so I wanted to rewind it back. It's pretty hard not to get hooked on motor racing, I guess, when your family, your dad's racing. Was it always going to be this way that you would go down the race car park? Yeah, look, I think so. I mean, look, my my entire life I can remember there was a race car in the shed at home. So, you know, I left the hospital in 1972 and I think one of the first places we end up was Oran Park or Amaru Hill Climb or, you know, one of them. So um, we grew up in a motor racing family. My dad, um, his two brothers, the family, the, they, we all went to the track together, all the kids. I mean, I think we spent as kids more time, you know, digging out ant holes out the back of the hill or or sliding down the hills at Oran Park on cardboard. Or But we were at racetracks and... and you know, and obviously that's where you become familiar with it. You own it. You understand it. And it was at a very early age that that I just knew that this was me. I just it burnt a hole inside me, and, and still was, does. And, and nothing was going to stop. And, and apparently, it still does in in twenty twenty. What was the first thing you put your backside in, or you threw a leg over in terms of a car, or a cart, or a bike? What was the first moment of motor power for? I, I suppose, well, in, in terms of, let's call it motorsport, was BMX racing as a nine-year-old, right? Mm. So that's where you first pulled on a helmet, you lined up on a start line, you competed, you raced, and that was BMX racing. So that was good. Um, we did that, but that only lasted a little while before we actually found one with an engine, and it was uh, riding motorbikes, mini bikes around out uh, at the back of the police boys club at Menai, in the back of uh, the, uh, New South Wales, there, Sydney. A lot of people would know that from that area. And then, you know, realistically, I, I used to enjoy riding the motorbikes around. We did that for a number of years, my cousins and all the, you know, the family. We did a lot. Um, but my true passion was four wheels, and I just I did everything I could to get into a cart, and that's where it really started to kick off then. Carts, formula cars, touring cars. There's been a bit of everything along the way, but what was the – everyone that gets somewhere in this sport has a – not a fairy godmother, but a, a a person that came along at the right time. That whether they had a bit of money, a bit of advice, direction, an opportunity, everyone who's made it in the sport has 
maybe not just one, maybe two or three people well, along the yeah, way that have absolutely. helped with a, a bit of a lily pad. Who was the, 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 the big, maybe one or two of those people back in the day that sort of set you on the trajectory Look, that got it, you to the next step? And, and it wasn't. It wasn't just one person. There was a, there was a whole list of people that, that added to the equation, added to the experience, of, I guess, and, and created opportunities. And it's those opportunities, and I, this is the advice I give to a lot of the young drivers today, um, it's what you do with the opportunities. The opportunities will open up if you work hard enough. Um, it's what you do with them that, that counts. So for me, I was racing some carts. You know, there, was a, there was obviously a group of people we all knew through the hill climbing process. That's where my, my father was racing back in those days. And as a young guy at 15, uh, a guy by the name of Lawson Ballantyne said to me, well, look, why don't you come and have a drive of this home-built hill climb special thing? So all of a sudden we went from a cart to a race car. Um, we then bought a Formula V. I think I paid 1200 bucks for it, raced that, and there was some different opportunities. A customer, the old man's come along. We went testing in his production car, and I was two seconds like faster than him. So they said, "Oh, maybe you should race it." You know, so that was Paul Smith. And then I suppose one of the first real guys that put his hand up to help us properly was John Smith. Mm. And many remember him from, you know, single seater days back in the day. Smith, he's a obviously, um, you know, well renowned. We should get him on this podcast, actually, because he's should, full of you a pile of good stories. Yeah. Um, I mean, Scott and I, uh, we we worked um, in his. Well, Scott worked for his dealership. And that's your cousin, Scott. That's my cousin, Scott Baguana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we worked in the race team a little bit. I was vent man one year and wheel, wheel changer one year at 12 hours and things like that back in the day, uh, MR2s and Corollas. And when he took over the TTA or what then was the touring car team, he had the Super and the couple of Corollas. And then 92, he offered it to Scott and I. So there was a group of us there that put that together. There was a number of people involved um, that helped us through that process. We ended up. Uh, going to Bathurst and winning that race. And that was really – so for me, John Smith was the first. There was a couple of people, Warwick Long, Steve Fryer, Roger Smith. Those guys um, really helped me then through Formula Ford. And, and without any of them, none of it would have happened. My first race car that I really owned was was courtesy of the ANZ Bank. And, and a, and a, <laughs> did and they a know good, that they owned a race a good car? good lie. <laughs> what was the fib? I did pay them back. Um, <laughs> But I managed to, yeah, managed to talk my way. I think it was before the internet, so it wasn't so bad then. So they couldn't search for you. No, couldn't search anything. So what, so what, what, what did you tell them that you were getting the loan for? You, I took the ad out of the trading post and they ended up buying a race car. So and that was the Formula <laughs> Ford, the old Rainer, which many people so that's, may that's, remember. That's, that's the 88 Rainer, the, the red Rainer. car that you, in that 95 field of Formula Ford. So we're talking about you, Jason Brody won the championship, Mark Webber was in the field that, week, uh, that yep. year in the Yellow Pages car. Uh, it was one of the best classes of a single year of Formula Ford we've ever seen. It, it was big, and, and obviously for me, um, we got an old car. That's it's because you know, look, I, I, I didn't come from a, a family full of big money. There was, a, you know, they obviously owned a small business, and um, it was okay. But in terms of some of the numbers that we see these days, or in the way motor racing works, so I had to work the three jobs myself. Worked at the McDonald's, worked at the service station, selling newspapers, um, and then you know, got a job straight out of school. And borrowed some money and, and went and bought a, a Formula Ford. So I think in those days, I think we paid, they're probably half the value they are mm. now. Um, but, you know, I, I sort of stretched myself in every way possible to get to the very first race meeting. And it was the, the generosity or the, uh, you know, the, the people that come along and help that buy a set of tyres for you or, or help you out with a truck to loan or, you know, put you up in their, their shed so you can stay somewhere at a race meeting. And we did that for a couple of years. And then it was really... Racing that Formula Ford, um, Michael Borland and Spectrum. So uh, yeah, there was a period there for him in Formula Ford where he needed a you know 
him and I needed something similar at the same time. He was trying to develop his own brand in terms of racing. I was trying to develop my own brand, and we met at the same, you know, at the right time, and and we went on and uh, and had a very successful year in '96 in the Spectrum, winning the first race for Spectrum and all those sorts of things. And today, um, I still have a relationship with Michael. In fact, my son Ben is racing a Spectrum mm, this mm. year in form of Ford. So that that's you know that's twenty. I don't know how was that twenty four five years ago sort yeah. of thing. So yeah, time flies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One of the things you and I have discussed in our travels over the years, we've been lucky enough. We've worked in television commentary and TV stuff over the years. Um, the Toyota 86 racing series and the like. So we tend to tell little stories at dinners and things and that along the way. But I love the story of your Bathurst debut. Careful. No, no, no. <laughs> only the good stories. The bad stories <laughs> Some don't. Some stories we might not yeah, talk they, about. Yeah, they don't make a run. Don't worry. I've checked it with the lawyers. Um, the 1990 Bathurst race is where you made – Callahan's, yeah. Yeah, correct. In the old VL carburetted yellow car with – Brian Callahan Jr. and John Gerwald, but there was a, a story behind how that all came to be, oh, and absolutely. you were sort of a bit of an you got it added in and a bit of a ring in, and you ended up with a drive. And how, how did that all be? So during during nineteen ninety, uh, I raced a little Suzuki Swift. I mentioned Paul Smith earlier. I, it was a production car. Um, we did the Amaru, um, you know, that series they used to. I thought they called it the Ams Car Series. It was, it was back in the day. Yeah, yep. um, so yeah, we, we were always there, and we were always pitted next to the Callahans. I don't know why it turned out that way. But back in those days, we all had you know um, sheds out the back sort of thing, and with the one we were allocated tend to be always next to the Callahan. So we built a good relationship with them. I entered the the, the Alan Grice's search for champion. That was going to be thing, my next right? topic. So they're kind of linked, aren't they? Somewhere in there, I'd, I'd scrape some uh, twenty cents together and got my thousand bucks up and paid the money, and I managed to f- make the way all the way through the final. And um, for those who don't know, it was Peter Jackson's search for a champion. So it was kind of a you pay your money to enter, and at the end of it, the best two get a drive in the Bathurst 1000 correct, in Commodore yep, that year, which right. Alan Grice was involved with quite heavily and a few other drivers. It's a bit like the, um, some people may know the Aussie driver search type thing. So it's a yeah. very similar process to that. It was a talent search thing. Um, some of the names involved with that were big. You know, you had Pete Gagan was mm. one, of the, one of the coaches. Um, yeah, Alan Grice was obviously involved in it. Um, you know, and I met some good people through that, and I managed to – get through to the final. So, um, yeah, you did your day at Eastern Creek. And back then, that was an interesting story, that the first day we did driving these uh, VN Commodores around Eastern Creek. Which were like proddy cars. Proddy cars, memory, right. Yeah. So yeah. they were pretty much standard road cars with a few <laughs> stickers on them. I remember, um, you, you, I think you got 10 laps each or whatever, you know, but they set up a bit of a chicane at the end of the front straight because they didn't want people driving through there flat out. But if I remember rightly, between Term 1 and 2, and this is before it was actually a racetrack. Yeah, they'd never raced on it by that stage. It was stage. dirt. Yeah. So you actually <laughs> went between track. 1 and 2, and it was like there was a there was probably a 30-metre section of dirt. So you just travel across the rat, and then we just kept going because that's how early it was back when we used that track. Um, so I got through that day, and then we went to Winton and had another day, another day, and then you managed to find my way to the final. So in the final, there was uh, Rick Bates. Peter Gazzard. Peter Gazzard. Yourself and Brett Yulden. Brett Yulden. Yep. So on that day- We have um, a photo in the files in the office. Somewhere? <laughs> we will wheel it out when we put a social post up about this podcast for sure. Oh, look, it was it was, um, it was was a good day. I mean, the final was great. Rick was probably the quickest. So I think I was second quickest. Brett was third and then Peter Gazzard. And through the process, uh, they- And during that time, we'd spoken to the, the Callahans uh, a number of times. I was only 18 years of age, you know, and- and through that process, we got to the final. They picked um, Rick and, and Peter as the as the winners. A bit disappointed by that. But um, Brian Senior rang the next day and said, look, are you available to come to Bathurst? Because John Gerwald at the time had, if I remember right, it was some sort of medical issue and he hadn't cleared his medical 
for the license, so for his international license. So at that stage, we're getting very close to Bathurst. Um, they asked me to come and, and I had to drive the car at Oran Park one day. And then they said, look, just come to Bathurst. He, John had passed his medical at that stage. This is the week of Bathurst. So I'd already been, you know, I'm there with my helmet. I was racing the little Suzuki Swift there anyway. Um, they said, look, we'll just, we'll just give you the minimum laps in practice um, just so that in case we have a drama, we've got someone during the race. And, and therefore you're able to drive. You've done able enough to laps. Drive. So you qualify, you. you've yeah. done the minimum laps. You've, so if, if we need you, we can, we can sit in the car. So I did my 10 laps. And, yeah, this is, this is an 18-year-old kid, right? So, and, and nowadays 18-year-olds – what we see a bit of, but back in the early nineties, it was unheard of, mm. you know, like, um, 18. And I remember the driver's briefing, you could sit next to Brock and Grice and Johnson and the heroes of your sport. These are the blokes you idolize. And I'm in the driver's briefing in amongst them all going, what am I doing here? Brock went past me across the top of the hill. And I thought, man, that's far. I thought I was going fast, <laughs> but then it was like, yeah, okay. I've got a bit to go here. Um, uh, so I did my minimum laps in practice qualified that part and they went oh look that was actually quite good you, you know I was a, oh, a bit faster than Brian and, and John um, can you have a go at qualifying so I went out I, had, I actually qualified the car I think we I did a 29 something which I thought you know back then was I think the 16s or 17s was the money so we're still miles off the pace but in that environment it was a 60 car field and it had different classes there was privateers we we're actually going all right at one stage um, yeah so we qualified the car um, Brian I think Brian crashed it in qualifying as well. I think he – and then they rebuilt the car overnight. And then they asked me to drive in the race. So I actually got the second stint in the race as well. And it went from can you come along as a spare driver to actually practice qualifying the car, <laughs> racing the it car. It stepped up. It stepped up. There's a photo somewhere of me. And the only way I could reach the pedals in that thing, I actually sat on a pillow. And I'm not kidding you. We, we pulled a pillow out of the motel and I actually sat in the – I shoved it into the seat. Bolted it. It's so safe it wasn't funny. <laughs> This is a Group A car at Bathurst, and I'm sitting on an actual pillow to reach the pedals. No power steering, none of that sort of stuff. So we manhandled that around, and as a young bloke, and at one stage you were running 14th outright. I mean, it was it was going really well, um, but it split, uh, got in a hole in oil cores. So by the time they bypassed that, got us back out. We finished the race. Uh, I got my stint, my very first Bathurst, 18 year old, a bit uh, bit uh, eye opening, and uh, I think Gricey won that day in the in the VL. Yeah. So, yeah. And the search for champion car didn't for, finish. And the search for champion car didn't Yours finish, did. and I did. And I made my <laughs> Bathurst debut and, and, and got through it. But it was uh, pretty exciting. We covered off a bit of the open wheeler stuff. We sort of we like to jump around on this podcast because it's We're just, just a chat, tend yeah. to be what, what we do. The Young Lions uh, season of 97 was a program. So, again, a little bit back to what you talked about before. There weren't many 18-year-olds or teenagers getting opportunities at the higher levels of the sport that they do now. The Young Lions thing in 97 that John Crennan put together really sort of kicked in the door on that a little bit with the four guys that yeah, were brought in a, there. But what, mean, what, what what was the process there of, of cost, getting it in? It cost us a bit of money. Again, I find a way to go and lie to the bank and borrow some more oh, money. You didn't again, did you? I, same I, bank managed, or different same bank? Different bank. We didn't try a different bank this time. I managed to convince me. These days, what, what I don't you, you could do that. What did you tell them it was for, though? I can't remember that one, but I ended up borrowing Another a bit you. more money. Another you. I think we paid $25,000 each or something to be part of it. So there was four of us selected. But there's um, no guarantee that you would correct. So race any certain races no, or you just 100%. be part of it. So it was part of an education process and we all, you know, there was a, there was a four of us there. Todd Kelly was one of them, obviously. Um, Mark Noski, Stephen Watt, myself. Now, all of us at that stage had come through the former Ford process. Stephen Watt was overseas doing some stuff. Yep. Um, but there was this push for Craig had been very successful in supercars, Craig Lowndes. Um, so clearly there was a bit of a push for the, the next generation, the youth, and and HRT created the Young Lions program. Um, 
out of that, we got to test a few times, drive a few cars, uh, do a bit of you know um, social oh, social media media training type they didn't stuff. Know social and, media uh, was in ninety seven. No such thing as social media. <laughs> uh, fitness training. You, know, you just became part of the team. You worked with the team. You went to race meetings with the team, and. Uh, Simon Harbwich offered me a drive in his Formula Holden that year, so we pulled a bit of sponsorship together and did that. So I was racing the Formula Holden uh, up against Bridie in the in the Drivers' Championship, and we did this Young Lions program. So the good part about that, it really, it really got you a, a grounding in with a proper race team and understood how the business worked, yeah. and, and that's it what the, it was It was about. the biggest and best race team in the country at the time, so HRT. Clearly, you absolutely. Go Winning everything, yeah. top of the game. Uh, Brock was there. There was this, you know, obviously he was a big part of the Young Lions program. We spent a lot of time at, at Peter's house and, and spent time with Bev and Pete and um, learnt a lot out of some things we won't talk about, some things we will. But there's some definitely things that we learnt. Um, and part of that was that two people, they were going to run a car at Bathurst, two people were going to be chosen. And um, I was fortunate with Mark to be one of those two. So at one stage there, I mean, uh, Jeff Greg t- came to me and said, look, there is a plan here that we might put you in with Peter. I was going to ask you about that, but you so, beat me to it. So, and I'm like, hang on, you Whoa. want to put me in <laughs> with Brocky at Bathurst? Yep, I'm in. Let in me his go. last one. In his last one. Oh, apparently, oh, sorry, he's nearly his last one. First last one. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then Mark, uh, Mark Scafie came along as part of all that and it, it changed. But there was that discussion. So how, how far down the road did that get that you could have driven 05? Uh, oh, look, there was a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. Um, it was ne- I was never told that it was going to happen, but I was told that this is what's likely to happen. Mm. And then that was before Mark came along here. I think he was still racing. At- he was still at Gibson's during the year Gibson's, he left mid-season. Yeah. So there, yeah. there was a bit of that going on. So in the end, it was as a young guy, um, you know, any opportunity was a great opportunity and you sort of grabbed everyone you possibly could. Um, I sort of waited for the team to make their decisions. The decision was that it was Mark and I. But there was a bit of a protocol there. Uh, he qualified one. I started the other in terms of standout and Bathurst. I qualified one. He said, you know, so forth. So, um, and that that's when it got changed at Bathurst a little bit after I qualified on pole. For the, on Friday. Yeah, you know, on the Friday. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, look, and it was. it was. I drove Peter's car a couple of times at Calder and, and did the testing for the team, you know, running in engines, running in diffs, running in gearboxes, all those sorts of things. Um, but it was a really good experience. And, it, and, and again, after Formula Ford, we had a great year with with Michael and Spectrum, and you know we achieved some great things. We almost won the championship the second year or the next year in Formula Holden '97. You know, nearly winning the championship there, second in that one as well to Bridie. He was in his second year in Formula Holden. We once we found our feet a little bit, we started winning a lot, getting pole positions a lot, and that was quite exciting. Um, and then to back that up with the the Formula Holden thing was uh, sorry the the Young Lions thing was quite good. The young lines element, we know the bit that everybody goes to with the, with the Bathurst stuff. But what did that do for you, being part of that, in terms of setting you up for your launch pad for what was basically a fifteen year supercar career that followed? I mean, there's a lot of other drivers who would have had that thing happen to them on the Sunday morning at Bathurst, get struck from the book. People go, "Nah, don't know about that bloke," and don't get back in, or take a long time to get back in. But that didn't happen because you ended up in a in a drive the next year. But what was yeah, the, the washout I mean, of all of that? Well, look, Gary rang me the week after, and I think – and that was what really created the opportunity. Gary just rang and, oh, it's Gary Rogers here. Come and see me on Tuesday, you know, so <laughs> – And then hang on, up the phone. Basically hang up the phone. <laughs> That's pretty so, good, isn't it? So oh, let me tell you, I was there at 6 a.m. Tuesday, so um, <laughs> before, the, before the dealership opened. But, you know, Gary obviously through the whole process, not just – 
not just the Bathurst weekend, but through the whole Young Lions process, the the Formula Holden, the Formula Ford, um, recognised what he thought was some potential there, so something that we could work with and, and make work. It, you know, clearly, as a race car driver, you put a seatbelt on, a helmet on, we're in a roll cage, things can and do go wrong. I've watched plenty of videos over the years of, of the likes of Senna and Schumacher and um, bring cars back in buckets, you know. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just what we do as as race car drivers and unfortunately it's one of those things that does happen. So, um, you know, obviously we had a very good lead up to Bathurst. We were very competitive at Sandown and, and look, there was a lot to learn. There was wet, different tyres, slicks, you know, cold tyres, all those sorts of things. Well, I think I spun about three or four times. I half the field did as well, <laughs> but it was one of those wet Sandowns. It's a bit crazy. But the one thing that really got my attention towards the end of Sandown and during qualifying there, I think we were right behind the two HRT cars in terms of pace. So, um, and we were quicker than most of the field. So when we got to Bathurst, I was pretty confident. I'd been there once before or twice before. I had a little bit of, I was comfortable with the place. The car was good. The team was good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, and then the, the practice session before qualifying, everyone bolted greens on, green tyres, apart from us. And I think we were the first car and pretty close um, my time was pretty good in terms of being the first car that wasn't on greens. So going into qualifying, I actually felt fairly confident that we hadn't had a set of tyres thrown at us um, and then we could roll out there and have a crack, and, and, and that we did, and, and it worked out. And I think I pipped Scafie by three hundredths of a second or something and ended up um, qualifying on pole. Sorry, qualifying first. Provisional pole, let's yeah. Not with provi- yeah. Let's not go with pole. Yeah, we, we know what you mean. We know what you mean. But the shootout... And then that night, you know, you went through the whole process, every newspaper and every sports tonight, and you're doing all that sort of stuff. That's all great. I think one of the, I think uh, Paul Gover wrote a story about my fake Rolex watch or something and my, my <laughs> Ford Telstar TX5 from 1986 that I was driving around in and all those sorts of things. That You know, it was a good story. Uh, shootout went well. Uh, I think I, I matched my time again. I think I went a tenth quicker or something. So, but it ended up fifth on the grid um, for the for the race. And then obviously the Sunday morning, it was weird that the incident happened on the Sunday morning because we put a plan together and um, and like like Andre Heimgartner did this year, uh, you clip the inside wall and it just fires into the outside wall. So it was actually the in-lap. We mm. weren't even trying. I was on the radio talking about the pit stop and how we're going to be doing that and maybe that was part of the problem. I don't know. I never really analysed it that much, but the concentration level was probably a little bit lower because – we weren't even pushing on that lap. It was a lap where I was coming in to do a driver change for in the warm-up and um, touched the inside wall. It didn't even touch the body. It just touched the wheel, um, straighten the car up, and bang, you're into the fence. And that's that's Bathurst. You know, there's Neil Crompton once told me that there's two types of driver at Bathurst. There's those that have crashed and those that are about to crash. So you're <laughs> yeah. either one of them. <laughs> there's no third category. Um, and, yeah, look, and clearly, you know, and there was, there was, uh, there was options from my point of view that, but the first thing I decided to do at that point was just to be honest about it, hmm. own the mistake. So uh, I think we went to the press room that morning and, and stood up in front of everyone and said, no, it was my mistake. And and that's when yeah, but Brocky was really good. He actually put his arm you know, around my shoulder and said, mate, look, this is what we do. Um, as athletes, as, as sportsmen, we, we have bad days and good days. He said, I've had plenty of bad days. And you, you find a way to get up tomorrow, look yourself in the mirror and go, right, let's fight on. And fortunately, Gary recognised that, gave me the call and – Said, "What well, we're going to put you in the car?" And and two races later, um, I got my first podium in a supercar, passing Russell Ingle and you know battling with Scafie. So it, it kind of it repaid that faith pretty quickly. So there was no other overtures. There was nothing else on the table. It was 
Gary, hey, this sounds like a good deal. His team's growing. He's going to two cars. Richo's been going. Steve Richards has been going well. It wasn't a case of shopping around. Hey, a guy wants me. I'm trying to get a drive. <laughs> exactly. I'm in. I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that was. Um, I felt like a three a three a.m. at a nightclub. It's like, yep, you'll do type thing. It's, it's. Um, then the lights came on. Yeah, yeah. Like so, for me, yeah, there was lots of talk and bits and pieces, and there was people you know, discussing things. But realistically, it was um, when Gary said, "This is what I want to do." And look, there was there was elements to it that I, you know, obviously I had a good relationship then with HRT, with with Holden, with Bridgestone. So there was a bit that I sort of helped bring to the table. The car that we ended up being in that year was the XHRT car, it was an X Brock car. Um, I think you've done stories on it. You've probably done a few over the a years. Few, yeah. A few over the years. So there's probably you'll find that on a website somewhere. Um, and that and and through that we pulled all that together. And then Gary. And what I couldn't believe is Gary actually offered to pay me to drive his race car. Whoa. But I had to work in the car dealership. And and there I was went, a am I cleaning toilets? <laughs> I am in. Let me tell you. Don't well, you worry. We actually got asked by a few fans in the, in the lead up to this. We've got our couch racer question section coming a bit later. What was your actual job at GRM? What do they have you doing there running around in the well, car dealership? Well, I, I, I turned up on day one. And bear in mind, I was on $35,000 a year, right? So Loaded. He, but, well, let me tell you, after years of scraping around with 20-cent pieces trying to go car racing, that was like I was rich. Um, so I'm getting paid thirty five grand a year to drive my first race you know, full-time, and I worked in the dealership. So I didn't know what I was doing. I turned up the first day. I think the very first day I was receptionist because the receptionist didn't turn up. <laughs> so I was told, this is the phone, answer it, and put it through like this. Yep, right. I ended up working uh, – I spent a couple of years there working in the service area, uh, I think I was the Daewoo's uh, warranty manager or helped out the Daewoo warranty manager, helped in the service bookings and all those sorts of things. Garth ended up over in spare parts and I was well, he in. could reach the big uh, shelves. He, so he, he could reach the top. I was yeah. no good over there. So I was, I was Daewoo service manager. I was very busy as Daewoo warranty manager, I should say, um, yeah, to put all the Daewoo warranty claims <laughs> through. So, yeah, we worked in the uh, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 or 8 or 6 or whatever it was, you know, all day, every day at the dealership. You go racing, you come back. So I didn't actually work in the race team as such, mm. but the race team was the building at the back. Yeah. So I built a good relationship with all those guys, and it really wasn't until after we won Bathurst that um, that then I stopped working in the dealership and, and concentrated more on full-time racing. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment, but I wanted to tell you about our good friends at Timken a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and recognise their logo, but did you know that Timken products have been to the surface of Mars? It's true. Timken partnered with NASA to design and develop bearings for its Mars rover missions Spirit, Opportunity and Curiosity, as well as for NASA's next scheduled mission to the red planet that's set to blast off in July 2020. The Curiosity rover used Timken bearings in its descent to the planet, as well as in the carousel system that positions the rover's sample cups for gathering and analysing rock, soil and atmosphere, plus two bearings that run the vacuum pump that supports the rover's analytical equipment. Those bearings are just 6.35 millimetres, yes, millimetres in size, and they rotate at 100,000 RPM. It's amazing. We'll bring you some more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast this year. But now, it's back to the podcast. One of the great memories I've got of that 98 year was your, your first race win at Calder. Oh, yeah. Remember that? So in those days, it was a three-race sprint format, just race on Sunday. 
That's the day that it rained so badly that the last race actually got, got washed canceled. away. Literally, yeah, Murph was, drove yeah. the new VT from HRT out there, did one lap and said, stuff this, I'm going back to the garage, and we yep. canned it all. <laughs> but the first race of that day, you held off Lowndes to win your first race, and that was GRM's first race win in the championship. Yeah, was... But the thing that kicks in my mind, and I'd love for you to talk about your memory of that day and the win, but that's where the public and the V8 supercar audience first really saw the – the yeah, baby, the how good's this, the, that exuberance and excitement that you brought. And it was genuine and it was real. Did you ever put 5 or 10 or 15% sauce on it, though? Because at the time we were going through a different era change. Brock was gone. Dick Johnson was winding down. Um, Jim Richards was no longer racing. So the, 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 the changing of the guard, yourself, Bright, Tander, all those sorts of guys coming through. Did you feel you had to become – very clear in the, oh, that's that Bargwana guy. That's that guy who's really stoked when he wins. Or was that purely 100%? It was just me. I mean, yeah. I, I was just like, and if people understood, and, and a lot of people did understood and watched the journey from racing at Formula V at Oran Park, you know, uh, with a, with an HQ Ute worth six hundred bucks, I, I wonder if your bank manager from those loans ever really watched any no, of those well, races. Actually, I thought, did meet, oh, I, I did meet the bank manager that lent me the money um, many years ago. Uh, many, many years later, at Eastern Creek, she came out once and um, said that was never for a Ute, was it? No, so she uh, she followed it and understood. I did pay it back, by the way. Yeah, good, um, good, good. But yeah, the people that understood the journey from their Formula V, the rusty old Ute, the trailer, the no spares, the I'm here to race and I just want to win, and I just you know just this this volcano of explosion of energy that just this is what I'm doing. So um, that day at Calder, sure, the first race I, uh, I'm i going to say I finished third, I think, because I started between Craig and, and Scafie in between them on the grid, and right? And so, made a shocking start, which well, he was both making did. a few that year, yeah. Yep. Both actually made a um, – I, I got a much better start than the two of them. So I split the two and went between the two of them down to turn one leading um, the race. And after the – that was the second race on the for the weekend mm. – um, and then it was kind of it was hard to explain, but this I come out of turn one with no one in front of me, and I just grabbed the, the rear vision mirror and tilted it and went, I don't care what's going on behind me. I'm not watching. I'm doing 20 laps here and not making a mistake. And I just head down and went after it until they told me it was the last lap. Then I thought, oh, I better put the mirror back and look in <laughs> and work out who's following me. And Craig was there. Um, so probably a little bit of nerves there in the last lap. I had to play a bit of racecraft, but, yeah, we ended up – getting to the line. So I knew if I can get the last corner in front, we'll be fine. Our car was good. The team, you know, very excited for the team. We had uh, a podium for the team at Simmons Plains that year. And then obviously that first race win at Calder. Um, and yeah, it was just, the, the, it was it was like the energy or the, the excitement, the elation of the fact that oh, I can't believe I actually won a touring car race against all these guys. The big this dogs, is, yeah. Th- this is the real deal. You know, like this isn't winning state level. This isn't winning Formula Ford races. This isn't going to Bathurst and doing well. This is winning a race. And I was just genuinely excited. And, and, and I didn't have to put any sauce on it if that's the terminology you want to use. That's just who I was. Mm. Um, and, you know, and even today you'll still see that even when Ben wins a race you know, lately or what, it goes out there and we have some success. I'm still bouncing around the pit area excited about what we do together and it's, um, yeah, it's very good. But you were back the next day to do some day we warranty claims. But I go back yeah. the next day to do day we warranty claims, <laughs> let me tell you. What was it about you and a Winton in your GRM era? Because you lit that, you won two rounds in a row, 99 and, and 2000. I think you won, of the six races, 
four of them or something like that. You clean sweat one weekend. Why did you click? Is it because it was the team test track and you'd done so many laps no, there? Look, or I'd, what, I'd, what, I'd what finished. I'd finished second in the Formula Ford Festival. I'd won in the Formula Holden. We got, you know, I think at one stage we had the lap record or something in the Formula Holden there on the long circuit. Um, look, Winton is a is a front tyre sort of track. It's the it's it suits my driving style, I, I guess. It's a slow and patient sort of high discipline driving style, which is what I like. And so anything I've ever driven there, for some reason, it's worked and not been competitive. Um, you know, whether it be the Formula Holden, whether it be the, the Formula Ford that we race there or, or when we've you know, eventually got the supercars. 98, we didn't have a great year there the first year. Um, we sh- probably should have had a better year. We tested and tyres were different then. There was the, the, the competition between Bridgestone and Dunlop and all and that sort of stuff. the control came in the next year, I think it was. And the control yeah. came in the next year. So um, I think the first year, 98, I hoped to do well, but we sixth or seventh or something. Um and then the year after, obviously, uh, we tested there and it went well. I remember we had a stuff up in, in pr- the practice prior and there was something with the rear springs. We had the wrong rear springs in or and so the car wasn't right. So, you know, going to qualifying, we went back to what we knew. And, yeah, we put it on pole and and um, and that was good because Garth was second. He, that was the first weekend in the second VT in the team. Mm. Um, so we, here we had, and there's a photo here somewhere. We're up in the boardroom. There is a photo on the wall somewhere of Garth I, I and I. Could, I could see it here. There you are, sitting, Winton, on the there, front yeah. row so of the grid. Here we are sitting on the front row of the grid. Two Valvoline cars was a big weekend. In a Shell Championship, which is always nice when you can it was always exciting. stick a, an oil uh, And I do remember like, sitting on that grid, pole position. Um, it was my first pole in supercars. And I remember, look, I wanted to be a champion. I want to win the title. And this is what it was about. You're on pole. You've got to get the job done. Craig's done it many a time. Scafie did it all the time. You know, all those guys, you watched them over the years, Jimmy Richards. You're on pole. Get the job done. So for me, that was it was like we ticked half the box. I wanted to complete the box. And the concentration, the focus on that first race, I remember winning that first race. And I actually went down the back straight at Winton. So you come out of turn 10, down to turn 11. I looked in the mirror, and I could not see second. So this was about two or three laps to go, and I thought, did I miss the checkered flag? Am I the only one races. out here? These are short races. This, it was just unbelievable. Like the car just worked. The, we had the setup right. Um, I was dialed in. I think Garth was second for a while, but he chewed the rear tyres up, and there was a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a bottleneck behind him. So I got a really good break one by – but I actually remember thinking, did I miss the checkered flag? Like, am I the only one? I can't see anyone else in the mirror. But then obviously, yeah, clearly that wasn't the case. You start questioning yourself. Um and then the second race we won again. The third race was a bit closer, um, but we managed to hold on and win the third race. So we clean slept that weekend, which was was pretty special and pretty amazing. It was my first one in, in um, yeah, in, in supercars. So it was good. The momentum built at GRM. You had the call to win. There was a podium with Jimmy Richards at Bathurst in '98. So there you were eight years ago. You know, sitting in a driver's briefing, saying, "Oh, this is Jim Richards," and yeah, then you're well, racing with him yeah, on the he's podium. Yeah, amazing, how yeah. cool is that? I remember the pink seatbelts from that. Pink seatbelts, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. stood out. You could never lose them. No, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and then 99, 2000, the VT Commodores. Of course, there's the Bathurst win. Garth challenges for the championship gets quite close. You guys win races and podiums, and then it fell away. There's a couple of new cars that came in 01 and 01 and 02 were quite lean years. For GRM, why did the, why did the curve oh, look, start I think, to fall? I think there was a nice little window of opportunity there. I think uh, Calder, we won the first race. I went to Darwin that year. Um, we thought we'd won the f- the round actually. That's right. Yeah, ninety eight. Yeah, I was battling with Russell. Um, few laps to go. The timing screen had the points up, and the team I was running second to Russell. I had a bit of a look and oh, should I? Should I? And the team said, "Look, 
you're going to win the weekend. I think it was if you finish where you are, you're equal on points you win with the someone else. Oh, but no, you'll you win the weekend, no, whatever we, it is. We, the points on the screen suggested that finishing second, we won the weekend. That's enough. Yeah, That's enough. So don't risk it. We're going to win the weekend. So then after the flag, I thought I'd won. They told me the other thing. We'd won the weekend. How good's this? Russell won the race. I won the weekend. How cool's this? Um, as we put up the podium, they acknowledged that there was a stuff up with the points or something. So we got equal points. And because Russell won that race... They gave him the big prize, which was a bit disappointing. But um, at the end of the day, it was still nice to be in that position. The next year, yeah, sure, we, we um, you know, VTs come along. We, we struggled a bit initially with the VT, but we started to find our feet with Once it. Once you got two, you always were going to be better anyway. Got better. Yeah. Um, Garth had a pretty strong year early in the VS because everyone was struggling a bit with their VTs. Had a few podiums. I think the wet one down at Tassie, I ended up on the podium there. We won, obviously, at Winton. Um, 99, I think Bathurst 99, Realistically, I reckon we could have won that race. There's a lot of people will say that. Mm. And as the day turned out and it panned out, um, Richo and Murph won it. But we were fourth at the time when the incident happened, Garth and uh, Thomas Mazur at the top of the hill there. But the car was really strong and it had pace to burn and a bit of luck. I think we could have won that 99 race, but didn't turn out that way. And then 2000, obviously, Garth was you know fighting for the championship. I, I had a, I think it was Canberra, we had a drama at one of the double points rounds. And that just killed my championship. I ended up with a DNF and a double points round, and you just you know you, you went from third or whatever to eighth. So then it really became about focusing on Garth for the championship, and and obviously the endurance races in Bathurst and Sand and Queensland Raceway we did really well. You were on the podium at Ipswich there a couple of times. Yeah, that's to right. Yeah, so we had some really good success there, um, and things changed a little bit in 01 and 02. I think even 02 when I won at Indy, uh, the Gold Coast there. Um, you know, it was a bit of a leaner year then, but the, the competition level had stepped up as well. The emergence of, you know, the Stone Brothers were starting to come on strong, a few more of the Ford teams, Holden teams. So it was, yeah, it was a lot more younger drivers and it was it was becoming a more competitive environment than what we see now. So That 02 win, that was the first year that supercars raced for points on the Gold yes. Coast and, and, you, and you won that weekend. It was a, a wet, weird sort of a weekend. By that stage, were you on your way? Out the door of, of GRM because it always got the vibe that the did the relationship start to struggle a little bit and uh, you know when you've been there for four or five years and yeah, there I are other so. options out there. Just, there was, and I we, guess and it's a long time ago now, and it's you know there was a, there was discussions going on uh, around that time. Um, I'd spent a bit of time with Howard Marsden and and he'd spoken about some opportunities that may be coming up. They weren't clear um, on the back of winning at the Gold Coast that locked in one of the the deals so that basically then was when it happened that week after and then the decision made was made and we we agreed to a to move to the ford team at but, larco's but, but was that a deal to go to ford or a deal to go to larco's who it was to a, a deal ford to team? go to larco's uh with the ford support and the ford yep. team so it what, what I, there was discussions around the ford thing but then it locked in the larco deal around that time so we we and then like i met the week later over at uh and and locked it in when we were in new zealand and then, yeah, obviously, it happened pretty quickly after that. So, uh, and made that move to to Larco's team. So, I think you had three years as an Orcon Steel man with, yep. with Larco. Yep. Um, looking back on that little period, it was a, it, it had a little bit of a sense of a team that just needed some more bucks, and they're probably going to get a little bit closer. What's your what's your overall viewpoint? Well, the first year, back? yeah, absolutely. The first year, there was a lot of good people, and, and the thing about these smaller teams is that. They're really driven by a team environment with some really good people in there that are working hard, you know, and they're the sort of people that you know, they work out, they MacGyver their way through it. They work out how to take some <laughs> that fencing wire. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we turn that into a car that can win races. You know, look, um, 
the first year of the AU, we ended up with a B8 at the end of it. Larko was driving. The team was developed into two cars. The second year, obviously, Frosty came along. Stone Brothers engines, we really started to, to make progress. Um, we ended up with a podium, I think, at the Gold Coast one mm. year. And Bathurst, I think, we fin- in the three years, we finished sixth, fifth, fourth, or something along those lines. Um, so, yeah, look, I think uh, no, it must have been fifth and fourth leading into Bathurst because I think we finished, Frosty and I finished fourth at Bathurst together one year. So there were some good things going on around that time. Frosty was obviously new to the team. Um, you know, he was a young guy and, and trying to find his feet in terms of where supercar land works. And there was some, you know, we had the support of Ford and there were some good things going on. So once we got the Stone Brothers engines, it really lifted the team a little and there were some good results there. We were fighting and for the championship and, and in there, there and thereabouts. But it was always... A, a team, and with all due respect to Larko, it was always a team at the start of the year. It wasn't on the whiteboard. You didn't walk in for the first meeting and go, right, how are we going to win the championship? It was, right, how are we going to make it to round three, you know, mm. with a budget? So you, you sort of it, – it does change the focus. I can imagine a HRT, and I've been in those meetings, a Stone Brothers back in the day, a, a Roland Dane these days, you know, the, the Penske. The first thing they do is we're here to win the title, where teams you know, like Larko's was all about – they wanted to win races. We'd want to be as competitive as we can, but financially, you had to find a way to make it through the year, let alone mm. try and fight for the title. So that was always the challenge. But you know, that's just part of what supercars is. Was it a a shock and surprise when Larco's ceased to be, and uh, it sort of? I guess it was, it was presented <laughs> as a merger with WPS, but really, it wasn't. You know, some people moved across, but it was a whole different team. It, look, it completely was, and that was a whole. There's a whole number of things that happened around there. I mean, I sat in the in uh, the top office at the Ford out at Broadmeadows there in the corner office and was promised the FPR drive the the following year. It's a bit of a theme that's emerged in some of the people we've spoken to in this podcast who had heads of agreement, contracts or serious discussions for that seat for that year. I'm not sure how many people they had. Well, apparently there was a lot. But look, at the end of the day, the meetings I had – there was a bit of politics and went on, and, and so you, you reckon you up, had that seat, seat done. Well, so Larko, Larko, in the end, um, you know, they, he ended up doing some sort of deal there somewhere where they took Frosty instead of me, and I stayed there with the Ford support at Larko's. There's, there's a whole lot more going on there around that, but the disappointing part about Larko was whatever we moved on, we moved past it. Um, things changed. The disappointing part was that in, in all of that, Larko had an investor. Um, that was going to buy into the team and give it that next level of support. And apparently that investor fell over, you know, at the end of January. So I remember I get the phone call, we're on holidays, having a, you know, in the caravan or whatever and saying, oh, by the way, this is all over. And I'm like, yeah, yeah good one. Mm, we just uh-huh. signed a new contract, mate, like three weeks ago. What are you talking about? For another, what, couple for, of years? For, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, um, and then, yeah, no, this is all over. And then out of that, uh, the the WPS thing happened, Craig Gore, all that sort of stuff, and then that that led me to the week before Adelaide, two weeks before Adelaide, um, finalising a deal with Craig, and ended up driving for WPS. And that <laughs> the negotiating position two weeks out of Adelaide is never very good, but um, <laughs> yeah, for me it was all about you know what what I thought was uh, a comfortable position, and we were ready for to embark on a on a strong year. Turned into this whole different platform, which was you know we ended up in the WPS thing, so. A couple of years later, the same thing happened there again. We ended up a couple of weeks out of Adelaide. Uh, that all fell over and, and, you know, so – and then, you know, it's just the way it goes and that's that's the business of – I think we had six Christmases in a row there. My wife would testify um, as she swings a bat over my head. Um, 
six Christmases in a row, uncertain of a deal or straight after Christmas, everything's fallen over. You don't know what you're doing. You've got no job. The you know, sponsor's fallen over. They haven't paid or, you know, it's all that sort of stuff. Did you take through all of that experience and highs and a fair few lows there of deals that disappeared? I think we've seen a lot of drivers in the last decade or so change from the realm of handout to be paid instead of going, well, no, no, I'm in a commercial world. I need partners, I need sponsors, I need investors, and I'm going to put together programs. So down the track, you do deals to race with Tasman and Kelly's. You did the mini challenge stuff there for a while, which yeah. was a bit of fun. Um, but you went and sourced, you went and hunted and found partners to bring with you to, to projects rather than walking around saying, hey, I've won Bathurst, give me a drive and Wait, give me some money. Look, the, 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 so it was, it that, was it that experience of that sort of stuff, the WPS era, that changed maybe the way that you – or, or the industry was just changing anyway and you had to change it. I mean, look, most drivers always had little personal sponsors and bits and pieces. And then there was an industry change where there was a lot of hired guns. Let's describe it that way. And as as the um, you know the cost increased and it got harder, like all the rest of it, so we all started to pull some deals together. So certainly around that era, I decided after getting left high and dry a few times in a row now that we need to start owning some of this. So we started pulling together our own sponsorships and taking that to teams. To the point where um, that grew from you know hundred thousand dollars sort of deals to three or four hundred thousand dollar deals to million dollar deals. So um, th- then you start owning that you have an element. I-, I didn't own a team. I didn't want to own a team. We didn't. We decided not to buy a franchise and go down that road. So you looked at it. Yeah, I did. We yeah. Deb and I, my wife, we seriously considered it, but the the capital investment required. The reality of our business model was that it relied on sponsorship. Um, if you had a sponsor and we had a number of them over the years that were good, some were, you know, and then people don't pay and you try and chase money and all those sorts of things. If you had a sponsor in that environment that said yes and then turned around and said no or didn't pay or, or, or high and dry, as some of them have done in the past, we've seen it before, then your entire business would collapse. Plus, if you're not running a car, your wreck's got to get fined 150 so grand around. Right. So yeah. we go through all that. No, we just went, no, this is not us. I don't have the, the backing behind me to do this. So... Um, I can then continue to pull the deals together and take them to teams. Um, and we did that. So after the WPS thing fell over, this is again a week out from Adelaide. You thought you had a good Christmas. You you know, And, and in fact, Tim Edwards rang me um, because at that point, as a team, we decided to buy FPR Falcons. That's right. I remember that, yeah. So we were buying FPR Falcons for that following year, for 2008. Um, the cars we had were ex-double-O Motorsport, I think. They, they were, were old by that they, stage, yeah. Been yeah. through the so we we're buying FPR Falcons. We had a technical deal in place. It was going to be. It's actually looking on paper to be quite a good year. Um, and then Tim rang me and said, "Do you know where this truck is?" And I went, oh, I, "I don't know, mate." He goes, "Well, it's supposed to be here to pick these race cars up. What's going on?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Like, you know, let me make a couple of phone calls." And then all of a sudden, it, it, it dawned on me that this happened very quickly. Um, there, it, she, this is a couple of weeks out from Adelaide. She, she's all over. Like, we're, we're talking <laughs> meltdown world, you know. Um, and and that's exactly what happened. So, and there's nothing left at that point. So in 2008, and then that's how the mini challenge thing come along. Me uh, asked me to do the Uber driver. That's the, right. Before there was a thing called Uber. Before there was a, before <laughs> Uber. Uber I, I, we I should said, have trained What's an Uber that? driver? Yeah. I don't know. Apparently, that's Uber was the word. So they used. Um, I did that one weekend, and then we struck a deal and put something together where we, again, yeah, yeah, you learn through all those years of Formula Ford and Formula V and doing these deals. You just we're pulling together, you know, jam tins and, and glass jars and we're making something out of it. 
Um, so between my cousin and I, we put a couple of minis together. We got them, a bit of support here. We found a sponsor and, oh, this is looking And we went and started our own team running the mini challenge series. And because I joined it a bit late, we had a lot of success, a lot of fun running around race team. Um, and, yeah, and, that, that, and, that, and through that, we developed another bunch of sponsors and that got us back with Sprint Gas in 09. So one of the questions we've asked, we got it a few times when we put it out on Facebook. How was it when you roll in the door at Tasman with Greg Murphy, having had that <laughs> little contretemps at Phillip Island in 2002 oh, yeah. where you went over on your head and went and told him what you thought and tried to grab a piece of him? Yeah, that was a good idea, wasn't it? I got, I got to Greg and he's surrounded by six-foot guys all wearing helmets and I'm a five-foot nothing. So I got hold of him, but, yeah, I didn't get very much further than that. But um, – Oh, look, you know, a lot of, lot of water goes down the bridge. Mm. We race each other a number of times. I don't think we spoke for about five years, but then we, you know, and we're always good mates before that. And then, um, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Greg and and, uh, and it worked really well for that year. And it, um, we quickly moved past that incident and then got on with the job of, of getting results. And and that was actually quite a good year that year at, at Sprintcast. We actually, as the year went on, um, the engineering group and, and Greg and myself, we, we managed to get the cars quite competitive and, getting back to really good results, so it was good. Well, you and Mark Noski were on target for a podium at Bathurst late in the race, and you got, I think you and Winkup got together late down at the last corner and you ended up in spun around, but you were, you guys were just about on to go and get a trophy yeah, we there got, that day. It was, it was quite funny. I think uh, Friday practice four or five or something, I ended up quickest. It was, actually, it was the last practice session before qualifying, so uh, um, we put a set of tyres on everyone else did, and I ended up um, fastest on the day, so... Uh, leading a qualifying, then you know we qualified well. We ran well during the race. It was wet during the day. Uh, Mark did a really good job, and then as it all panned out, at the end of the day, there our car was balanced really well for late run. So late in the run, um, it was a bit understeery to start with, but late in the run, it really balanced up well. And as the fuel load started to come off in the car, that last stint, like we all know. This is when the men step up and it's Bathurst, you know, like this is, uh, here we go. <laughs> this is what men do. Uh, so There's our audio clip for the uh, podcast. It's um, it's kind of like, um, can you say that these days? I don't know, is it politically correct? You just anyway. did. So. But it's it's the sort of thing that we all know that that last stint at Bathurst is when you really, it's like qualifying for, for an hour and a bit. Um, and for me, yeah, we're running fourth. I passed Lee. We're, we're chasing down, I think it was um, Jason Richards, I think it was. Jason Richards was in the mix. out in front. Kelly Boys and, then, and Jack Daniels car in the And I was in front around. of Jamie and yeah, Jamie tried to pass me, hit me in the rear of the car, got me in the door and spun us around and that sort of took us off the podium with three or four to go. So um that was a bit disappointing, but that's yeah, that's what we do. So um and we moved back up to fifth or sixth, I think. I think Murph got to fourth that day and mm. it was uh, just it was a really good result. And then you got the, the, podium, the yeah. pole on the Gold Coast, which was a bit of a shock to everyone. And then Tasman ends at the end of that year. So yeah, you're well, back on the market oh, again. Man. It was, and it was, and that was just to build. So we were starting to get really good results. The car was, was strong. Bathurst had obviously worked, got the Gold Coast. It was strong on the Saturday. Or Sunday qualifying came around. Uh, it was actually the first weekend. We talk about the first weekend at the Gold Coast where I won the very first points race. That was the weekend that the um, champ cars pulled the pin. And the A1, A1 Grand Prix did over, the whole, like we're, coming, sort of we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. They're so not coming. It, it turned into this whole... Um, different thing for us. So we had qualifying the Sunday, which was really cool. Um, and yeah, got pole position. And, and that was just Pete and I just worked, the engineer. Pete worked. Pete Smith, who's George Smith's son. Yeah. There you go. Um, worked really hard on the setup, got it right, bang, did the number. Uh, that was on the long track. Um, and so yeah, pole position. I was like, this is, this is it. Like, you know, I've won here before. Come on, let's go. And then I remember the thing, 
there was a safety car early. I was Craig beat me to the first corner, running second on the restart. They dropped the plug lead. So this thing's running like a you know a bag of spuds. It's on seven cylinders. So that was the end of that. I had to come in, we had to um, uh, yeah push plug lead back on, and away we go again. So it took potentially a really good result there. Um, I thought we could fight for the win. And I was I was ready for it, you know, pole position, run at the front. Here we go. Bathurst was good. We can get this done. And then it dropped a plug lead and, yeah, seven cylinders, away we go. Then there's two more years. And at there's... the end of the year, she all fell out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, then you're back to that whole uh... – So, we, again, we take our sponsor group, we talk around, we you know, and we put a deal together and ended up at Kelly's with a, with a group of sponsors. So, yeah. yeah, it was good. So there's a year at Kelly's in the Rock car. Yep. Uh, Glenn Seaton – Drove at Bathurst so, yeah, in his yeah, last right. Bathurst, so you guys you shared that with him. Yeah, and there's of course a year at BJR as well, where you essentially took over Jason Ridge's ride with everything that was going on. And he got sick, and the late the year before he was out of a ride, and he was obviously being treated for cancer. and And I think we all knew that as much as we would have loved him to come back, that it was looking really unlikely. How was it for you for your, you coming into that situation? Because oh, it's it a really strange I mean, one. The Kelly situation, um, we had sponsor issues in terms of not paying and uh, the Pepsi deal come along for Murph and it all. And so what it meant was, you know, again, Christmas, we go into Christmas with no, the sponsor hasn't paid your deal and you're just like, this is mm. all a mess. Um, and clearly the opportunity arose um it's, at that stage, it looked like Jason was going to be back in his seat, uh, and clearly it, it just didn't happen. So Brad and I put a deal together, and, and again, we we, str- we strung together some sponsors, brought a couple to the table. Where one of our smaller sponsors then step up, stood up to the to be become the naming right sponsor. So, and Jace, um, we all know the, the history there. There was a stage there where because it wasn't a championship round, we we're able to he was able to do the Grand Prix. Um, I was happy to step out and let him do it. It was good to see actually him race that car that weekend. Did a bloody good job in it mm. as well. Uh, look, we had a podium that year as well uh, in Perth with and the that, team. And that was the one that Bright won the Brighty race, won, which I was BJR's up, yeah. first championship race, winning both cars on the podium. So it was pretty exciting. Part and of the team history, yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, 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 you talk about my career. We, GRM, we've won races, podiums. Uh, Larkos, we were on the podium. Um, pole positions with Tasman, you know, podiums, podiums with Kelly's. Uh, even right up to the final year with BJR to be able to be on the podium there, I mean, and they were quite valuable and still are today to be able to get a podium in that environment, that competitive environment, is uh, pretty special. So, yeah, I was pretty happy with that. And and even to the even at the end of that year, right up until the Sunday of Homebush, I was under the understanding we had an agreement and a deal for the following year. So our sponsor at, had at signed BJR. on at BJR. Yeah. Our sponsor had signed on. We're ready to go. All shook hands. This is what's happening. Sunday afternoon. It changed, and and well, uh, after the race, mid race. Oh, that that day, and it was just like, what's going on here? So, you know, the market was very different. We had a sponsor, we had a good sponsor, seven figure number, but the number the the sport had changed that much that it wasn't enough money. So they took a bigger check, hmm. basically, and and made it work. And that was it for you in terms of supercar. And, and, so you know, look, yeah. What, why no co-drive? Why no other – why? Why does it end yeah, right there and then? The co-drive thing was interesting because that was around the time in which they changed the rules so the main drivers all owned their own car. Which came in for 2010. Yeah. So 2011, it was all – so straight after Bathurst, basically the week after Bathurst, everyone had grabbed whoever they wanted and they'd signed up co-drivers the following year. So by the time we'd got to Homebush, which was now late in the season, December. we're talking December yeah. – when you started talking to everyone about co-drives, they're all signed up and done deal dusted. There was nothing really going on. There's one or two seats available, and it just didn't. It weren't 
what we were doing. So I went and raced in New Zealand and, and had a, and eight seasons over there with a lot of success and really enjoyed it. So it was a very different environment and and um, the, the supercar window closed, I guess, and moved on. Even though it was frustrating because I, I was sitting there with a bucket full of of gold, if you but like. Just not a big enough bucket. <laughs> just the bit, the bucket wasn't – we had a sponsor, which is one of the hardest things to get in this business. Um, we had good sponsorship. We had good and – th- and I was looking forward to the, the new generation car because it was a sort of front front tyre car, which I would suit my style. Um, but, yeah, it just didn't work out that way. It wasn't my plan. But, hey, that's uh, that's motor racing, as they say, and you dust yourself off and move on. I guess some supercar drivers get to have the grand farewells when it's known that they're, they're leaving – not everyone. It's like a football player, you know. They yeah. Some get to retire knowing that that's their last match in terms of the top echelon of the sport. But for others, uh, it gets forced upon them, and others, it's out of their hands. So I guess yeah, that's look, just. I think- but you would have thought surely that you'd end up in a supercar again after 2011. Yeah, surely. I didn't. I, I certainly hadn't thought it was over. Um, but it, but that's just the way the sport moves that quickly. Um, so it, it uh, retirement's not a word that I really use because I still well, do some racing and yeah. I and I still have enjoyed my racing and I and I, I love racing right so even if we're racing and and obviously we're all aware now that I'm going to be TCRing in 2020 so when the opportunity comes along to do something really cool I've looked at some historic stuff and bits and pieces but I just really still want to race at a top level and against good guys and 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 you know that ultimate competition which is what I really love about it so I, I didn't think at that stage it was closed but. As things moved on and the sport changed quickly and the money that was required and the teams and the people that bring bringing money to it, a lot of young guys then with, with floating around with checks and it just made it a very different environment. That's life. That's, that's, that's life. And if you blink, <laughs> you'll miss it. Exactly. <laughs> One of the things we love to ask people about on this podcast is memorabilia, keepsakes. What have you kept from your racing career? What's the stuff oh, that you've got tucked things, away yeah. that you think, oh, I'm never, never getting rid of that. That's cool. Well, we talked to Sprint Gas, the, the, the bonnet off that car's hanging in my shed. There's a couple of other bonnets and cards and bits and pieces that are cool. You know, there's obviously there's some. I think even the the Bathurst wreath st- sitting up in the top of the loft there somewhere covered in dust. I saw that the other week. Um, there's a few trophies and bits and pieces, and there's a box full of shirts. And I've still got my my helmet from Bathurst and driving suit. But really, it's funny all that time we spent with Brock and those guys. All those you know, so many drive days and weekends and you know uh, promotional things. Not not once did I get him to sign me anything. Like it's <laughs> it, it, it's not the sort of thing that you do. You know, you did, you don't think that way. Um, until afterwards, and you go, "Oh, maybe but, I should." But you know, but I've I've got Peter Brock's autograph at home. But he passed you in a Sierra across the top of the mountain at Bathurst. <laughs> you win, you win. I'd swap with you <laughs> to just see what that was like. Um, one of the other questions we've had from a lot of punters. We'll get to our couch racer questions in just a quick second. The DSO driving standards deserve a role that you had at, at Supercars for yep. a while. How did that come to be? Are you are you happy? We've seen different guys in that role over the years, in not just Supercars, but other roles of other championships. You never keep anyone happy, no matter how hard you try. Everyone's got an opinion and a viewpoint of good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, how much? And we live in a world of social media and stuff going on left, right, and centre. How did you cope with dealing with that, or did you very much row your own boat and say, well, I'm here to do a job, that's what I'm going to do? Yeah, and that, that's kind of it, really. I mean, at the end of the day, I started that whole process, got asked to do the role, and I thought about it, and then I'm denied whether it was the right thing to do. I thought, you know what, from my point of view, there's a whole lot of motor racing experience here. I've done all this before. I, I know most of the people. I can contribute. And, and I still love my supercars, even when I wasn't driving. Um, but I decided from day one that I'm going to do it with integrity. I'm going to be... Um, consistent and because the things I used to hate um, when I was a driver or the things I 
didn't understand, I thought, well, I'm going to apply what I know doesn't work or I'm going to be consistent with it. So, you know, one of the things that we did do there is at the start of each year, we, we set out the guidelines of what we expect. It did change slightly from year to year based on the rule book. Um, a lot of people had input into that, but it was my job to then collate that and then deliver that message. So we'd start the year with a special meeting, if you like, and and one thing that I I did say, and there's a topic of discussion around Jamie and Bathurst and all that sort of stuff, whatever we do over these next couple of years, we will make decisions based on what it's like in the last five laps of Bathurst if two blokes are going head-to-head and we have to deal with a decision. So we are going to process that from day one, from race one, right through to the end of the season. So we, we will deal with, with that pressure and we'll make the decisions. Now, it's like any of those sorts of situations. You you have an interview with a driver. You have an interview with the next driver. Um, there's always three versions. There's his, his, and the truth. So, <laughs> um, And it doesn't matter what decision you make in that role. There's always someone that wants to stab you. So that's just the reality of it. If you make a call, left or right, um, it upsets someone. It makes someone happy. Tomorrow, it's the different people on the other shoe, right? So other foot. Um yeah, and even the, the times where I had uh, – one stage where I had Jamie and Craig, um, both Red Bull cars, uh, both hearing after – two drivers involved in it. So all I had to do was deal with it from a from the same – I would view it if it wasn't the team cars, and that's exactly what we did. Tassie, I think it was, it was Tassie, when they yeah. came together. Yeah. So from my point of view, I always feel that it's a drive – You know, the, the driver's championship, if you like. The driver's – the champion is judged on his performance throughout the course of the year. And if he's made a mistake, um, whether it be the same stickers on the door, um, he should be judged the same as everyone else. So irrelevant to whether it's mm. internally the team, you get points I've based on performance. I've always agreed with that too because there was previously an era where if it was teammates colliding, it's always well, it oh, self-policing, well, it's yeah, their right. problem, which I, well, I agree with your point of view on that. So I, I always disagree with that and I thought, well, at the end of the day, the champion gets the trophy, gets the points, deserves it. Um, so you're going to be judged the same as everyone else mm. from race one to the last race, and that's the way I, I went about it. It's a tough gig, three years of, of that, and it's, um, yeah, it was it was good to be involved in. Did it wear you down at all? Oh, absolutely. I'm fortunate I don't do the social media thing, so I stay well away from all that. So my wife sometimes would show me things, and I go, man, how did people get involved in this stuff? This is crazy. Um, but, yeah, look, of course, everyone's got an opinion, but at the end of the day, I, I felt that I, I did a good job and earned the respect of the drivers and the teams and, and sure, some people didn't agree with some things, but and, and a couple of times there we had to deal with some tough decisions. But I just went back to the basics and made what we all decided at the start of the year was was the the call we're going to make. The call I'm about to make is couch racer questions. This is where our followers on V8 Sleuth get a chance to fire some questions. We'll do it fast. It won't hurt much. Go. James asks, "What do you consider?" Hi, James. To- <laughs> Hi, James. Uh, what do you consider to be your best race? Now, it might not necessarily be one that you won. The best race where you performed absolutely as good as possible. He said, it doesn't have to be a win, but a day where everything went exactly as planned. Yeah, look, I mean, there's there's a lot that stand out. Clearly, Formula Ford, you had a lot of races. Formula Holden, there was some cracking race with Ebridey. Um, winning supercar races, we talked about, you know, that call to win and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, one of the best races I remember, and I almost remember it lap for lap, was the mini challenge race on the Saturday afternoon at Bathurst. It 2008? Was 2008. I would have commentated this probably. Yeah, you, I think you yeah. were the commentator on this. Because they reversed the top six, I'd won the first race. I had to go back to six. Matt Neal was in the race. He's he the was current, too, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think he was the current British Touring Car Champion. If he wasn't current, he was close too, yeah. I had 50, He's still going, by the way, in the British Touring Car Championship. So I had 50 kilos of penalty weight on because I'd won some rounds. in that series, yeah. Um, 
We had the New Zealand champion was over as well. So it was a fully packed field. It was an all-star mini race. All-star mini race. Sixth on the grid, sixth lap or whatever it was, and I, I won it on the last corner. So that, that one really stands out. I remember that now. I it, remember it really that. The st- last I mean, corner it was too. I actually passed my cousin who was my teammate uh, and Matt Neal. There were three wide coming under the bridge at, at Bathurst there. A race like that at Bathurst, I mean, look, I'm, I'm describing this and I can feel the hairs on the back of my head You're getting up. excited. You're up oh, in the chair. It was a cracker of a race. And it, and even and it was a win. So, yes, you get to the end of that and go, I remember this. But there was plenty of supercar races. Um, that, that battle with Craig at the end to, to get my last podium in supercars was pretty special too. So, um, But, James, I'm going to go back to 2008, that mini race. That's cool. That was – go on YouTube uh, somewhere. Uh, I'm, sure, be I'm somewhere. sure it'll be somewhere. Uh, we it'll be, we, we wouldn't cracker. condone breaking, breaking any copyright <laughs> Rules, of course. Uh, Howard asks, how many beers did you drink after the Bathurst win? I seem to remember that you had a serious hangover the next morning. Yeah, that is correct. We were pretty tired, I've got to tell you. It's pretty tired. Pretty tired. Very emotional. Um, but we did party quite well at the RSL, the Bathurst RSL. <laughs> the RSL night. was the place for the post-race it party back in those days, off. wasn't it? I was. I do recall that one. Actually. So we, um, how many? Lots. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to say it was a good night. Uh, Todd asks, how the hell... Did you and Tanda manage to drive together for so long with such a height difference? Did either of you have to make any compromises? Uh, some? Well, some, yes. I mean, did, weren't you the first guy to start stitching stuff into the back of your, your no, race No, so we, we had a, we had a well, I think they called it the dicky seat. So we poured, like, both John Garth had and I, one with Dick Johnson as he well. He did. He did, actually. He had one back in the day. Um, and I, as I, I explained very much earlier in this podcast, I sat on a pillow at Bathurst. <laughs> So this um, was a bit classy. This is a bit classy. We made a proper um, seat insert. So we put the seat in Garth's position um, so he was comfortable. He compromised a little bit, obviously, and we talked about that earlier with his burnt bum. But um, I then poured a seat into that seat. So it was a proper fiberglass insert. We poured it. We ran two sets of belts for the uh, for the hip-type um, setup. So we ran the, the buck, same buckle. We had our own belts for the side and then the, the top straps we could use. So I sat out of the seat probably a little bit too much, um, but once the seat bolts are on, you know, it, it, it worked. I could reach everything. I was compromised a little, Garth's compromised in the middle, but I, I, we built three seats, and one just kept coming back as being the comfortable one. So I kept using that one seat, and it um, and it worked really well. So we used that, what, a couple of years at Bathurst together, uh, Gold Coast, uh, sorry, the, the Queensland 500, and, and we had some success with it. And we could beat the the fuel and we could beat the tyres of the fuel in terms of the drive change using that dicky seat. We had a good system and, and it worked. It worked. You won Bathurst and, and a couple worked. of podiums at Queensland 500 as well. Bethany asks, what are you most looking forward to racing in TCR and is it the chance to drive with your son Ben at Bathurst later in the year? Yes, that is definitely one of the high motivating factors there. I used to watch, well, back in, when I was a kid, the, the Seatons do it together. I've seen the Johnsons do it together. Um, Richards do it together. I mean, it's it's the sort of thing that even my dad and I raced a, an endurance race together. It's the sort of thing as a as a father you want to do. What with was your son. enduro that you did? Was it oh, a prodi- a prodi- yeah, car it was race? a potty thing. It was the it was the Wakefield three hundred or something. I think they called it. Um, so when you get to share a car with your son, I mean, it's something that Ben's. I've watched his racing career right from when we stuck him out in the go karts down at uh, Gippsland, down at Morwell that day when he was about ten. I used to wave as he drove past, getting lapped in his first race. You know all that sort of stuff. <laughs> It was exciting to watch, but you know, here we are now. We're going to. The plan is here that we're going to Bathurst and we're going to share it, a car together. Um, but the real thing for me, look, I've watched TCR the last few years and and sort of asked the question to myself, I guess, whether it would make it to Australia. And then it generated some uh, some energy and it made it to Australia. And then it's really performed well. And then you know, through 
um, some opportunities, we've stitched together a, a very good commercial partner um, and locked in a good deal. So if I could do that, then I was prepared to to get back to um, an athlete's lifestyle, if you like. How's that going? Oh, the gym hurts, man. Come on. <laughs> I used to enjoy having a beer and some hot chips. I mean, this is just crazy. Now I've got to eat lettuce and drink water. What's going on? So, yeah, getting back to that athlete lifestyle, losing a few kilos, getting fit again um, and and really focusing. But I'm really enjoying that. I'm really enjoying that drive. That's when I knew that I wasn't ready to retire because this is, this is again, I feel like that young kid that with a bit of energy and, and burn, I'm ready to go. I just, I just can't wait to get in the car. I walk around the car. I look at the car. I touch the car. It excites me. It's got everything I love about a race car attached to it, the brakes, the suspension, the look. It's got paddle shift. I've only oh. done that on, on uh, PlayStation. So um, this this is going to be something that's very exciting. And and know that, what I really like about TCR is that it doesn't matter what car you're in or what team you're in, you've actually got a genuine opportunity to win. And that's the thing that I, I'm probably not a fan of with supercars these days. Realistically, now we're looking at, Three teams that can get the job done? Probably two, really. You know, and and there's always – and there was a bit of that in my day. There was always a bit of luck. But in this TCR thing, you can roll up and you are a genuine chance to win the way the BOP works, the way the, the structure of it works, the, the performance of the cars, and that's what I want. And, I, and I'm not doing this to make up the numbers. We are sitting here and, – and that's one of the reasons we're here at JRM today. We're sitting here working out how to win the championship, and that's a genuine situation we're in. You're not just here for fun. No. You're here to play the game. Um, a few of these questions we've kind of covered off. Um, David asked, what did you say to Murphy after your Phillip Island crash? <laughs> We'd have to get the beeping machine out for that one, I'm sure. Uh, Michael what asked did I a say? good one. I, I, I uh, can, can, you, can you paraphrase what? maybe? Because I reckon if we got the tape from Channel 10, we could probably just about tell. You, yeah. Okay. I think I'm it was Eric Penn and a few other guys. There was a few flowers in there. Sw- yeah, yeah. So there's, I think- there's a few character references. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael Francis asks, what was your favourite? The funny thing about that crash, yeah, right, yeah. is that th- 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 as they got back in the ambulance, because I was fine, right, it was like a roller coaster ride, just a bit rough and bumpy. <laughs> I got in the ambulance and we're driving up the track backwards, into pit lane backwards, and they stopped at the gate to go down to where the medical centre was. And I looked at the back door and went, nah, bugger this. So I kicked the back door open of the ambulance. They're going, what are you doing? Okay, sit down, sit down. Nah, they're all. So I'm running up pit lane. I get to the gap in the fence. I've got ambulance blokes chasing me going, what are you doing? You know, and I've found Murph on the grid there and I've, yeah, explained how displeased. It's a nice way to put it. So I'm getting chased by the ambulance bloke. And I, as I said, I get to Murph and he's got, you know, three six foot four blokes with helmets on around him. So I didn't last very yeah, long, but, you know. No, no, probably should have stayed in the ambulance. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I was going to say, Michael Francis' question, what was your favourite V8 supercar that you raced? Is it the Bathurst winning car for obvious reasons? Or another one, perhaps. Look, if you could have one in the shed at home. It's hard because they always got better. Yeah. They really true. got better. The, the, every year you had a better car. The, the layout was better. The dash was better. The, the interior was better. The, all those sorts of things mm. were a bit nicer. So certainly the last car, the, the most memorable one, the one I, I really had a love affair with was that VS, the very 98 car. Which was a HRT car. HRT you, car. You mentioned really it earlier. Good. It was the car that Lowndes had used for the majority of his 96 championship winning year before the bar car came along. Oh, before, yeah, what they yeah. call that So one, it was a pulsating car for him. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel. Yep. Gabriel, It yeah. was the Bathurst pulse sitter from 95 with Lowndes. Right. So that was the so, car. Yeah. Yep. I, I love that car. Just and, and some cars you get in and you felt comfortable with. Um the Sprint Cast car, I really like that car too. Like that that VE Commodore. Um, again, it was one of those things you sat in it and you and you that was a good year and it, it delivered. And when you wanted to do things, it did it. Um, so I, I really think my favourite car was probably that uh, that number three car, the Sprint mm. Cast VE. Cool, cool. 
Cool. There's your answer, Michael. Lachlan Mansell asked a question that we already have covered the answer off, which I wasn't planning Lockie for you. Mansell. The great Lockie Mansell. Favourite memory from racing in the Mini Challenge. It's Bathurst. We, we banged that on one the last out. Corner, we so we ticked that, one, that one. So Lockie's probably turned off after that because he got his answer he before he got, he got through to the question part. Um, Jory asked, what's one of your hardest decisions you had to make as the DSO in supercars? Oh, look, it, you probably make hard ones every weekend. Yeah, you know, the highest pressure ones, there's probably some results that changed, I think, um, that changed podiums and things. And and I was always very firm on the fact that the right people should be on the podium. So we're going to deal the with day. these things. On the day. Right there, right there. And then, I mean, there was a lot of pressure around, obviously, uh, Slady ended up on the podium with Gold Frosty, Coast, Gold Coast. 2014, I think um, it was. There were some things at Bathurst we had to deal with, obviously, um, with Jamie that year. and McLaughlin. And McLaughlin, all incident. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so they were probably some of the hardest decisions with the highest pressure of the man at most eyes on. But but what I went back to quite simply is a process. So if I went back to my process, went through my book, ticked the boxes, it gave a result. And that was what the that's why they were all pretty much similar all the time. Last one. Sean asks, is there a drive you wish along the way that you took that you turned down? So different instant different question there that you turned down rather than something happened and you ended up out of a seat. Not through uh, No, not really. I mean, there's not really, no. No, I look, most of the opportunities I took and, and ran with, um, I, I've honestly, you know, when you sit down and look at it, I've probably only said no to about three or four things and, and don't regret any of that. Um, but no, I mean, there's things I probably would have liked to have a drive of and, and environments you'd want to be part of. But in terms of knocking them back, not really. Probably um, the hardest decision was when I was in Europe, and I know – there's not a lot of history of mine in Europe, but I went there and raced uh, at Magnicore. I raced it because um, you did the Nations Cup. I did the Nations Wheelers Cup. Thing, I, did, yeah. I did the single seater thing in, in the UK. Uh, I went and spent some time in the UK. I tested. I was fast, and there was opportunities there, but just no budget. So, um, and you know, the hardest decision—not the hardest decision, but it was a tough decision to say, right now, we've got to give this idea up um, and come back and, and really focus on my touring car career, which. And, and the things that I was doing in Europe were opening doors and I and I did have some good opportunities, but it all came with, righto, how much money you got? And I think I've, I've, I've said it before, I'd sold the Tirana and the toolbox and, you know, I was on three credit cards to get there. So it just wasn't going to happen, you know. Like he, and Doco offered me a deal to do Formula 3. Um, uh, Alan Docking, the expat Aussie who's run many. And he ended up, I think um, Mark Weber ended up there as well. So did, yeah. um, there was a deal that could have been done there, but you're talking 200,000 quid. Mm. Back then, you're talking four hundred thousand Australian dollars. So you just, you know, and I'm, you need a lot of credit cards for that, my man. Friend. And and by the way, you got to Friday to do this deal because I got two Italian kids that are prepared to pay seven hundred fifty thousand yeah, quid. You know, yeah. what I mean, like it was. So there was good opportunities, but look, it all just came down to a, and that wasn't that was just telephone numbers to me. It just didn't mm. make any sense whatsoever. That's our last of the couch racer questions. We've, we always finish that with a top ten shootout. Go, I love a good shootout. So this is basically a fancy form of word association. I say something. You give me the one word that comes into your mind straight away. Yep. I'll let you have two words, maybe three if it gets the meaning across better. But by the end of it, you should get down to one. You ready? Garth Tander. Champion. Fair point. Uh, Gary Rogers. Awesome. <laughs> we are sitting in his joint too, so that does help, but he can't hear us, so it's okay. Um, Eccentric awesome. That's two words. Yeah, that'll work. Has it got a hyphen between them? Or? <laughs> it's one word. We'll uh, make it up. Uh, Craig Gore. Interesting. Mm. Care to elaborate? No. Okay. Uh, Red Rooster. Red Rooster. (laughs) Challenging. Yeah. 
You still running Red Roosters? I got it. We still got a Red Roosters toy. Absolutely. Which one? Yeah. Do a plug. Packenham. Packenham in Melbourne. Packenham in Melbourne. Go on. Come down to Packenham West. Get some and chicken and say chips. In. Okay. Cool. I'm here to do plugs. That's a lot so more okay. than one word. No, that's right. But you're allowed to do plugs. Uh, John Smith. We spoke about earlier. Yeah, oh, he's a legend. True. Uh, mini challenge. That was great fun. Is that two words? Just say fun. Fun. Or great. Great fun. Which one? Great or fun? Great fun. I really no, no. enjoyed one it. One or the other. Great. <laughs> Formula Holden. Oh, fast. Mm. Mm. I think they'd get some people quite surprised who perhaps weren't around in the Man, they were quick. They were, were good. I remember that. Having that thing sliding around, you know, turn one at Eastern Creek and flat through turn one at Phillip Island, over the Lukey Heights flat. Man, that was um, that was what men did. <laughs> Can you say that? Oh, I've said oh, you it said it now. again. That's <laughs> twice. Uh, oh, we didn't get to cover off this. Maybe we can talk about it another time. We did allude to it. Toyota Corolla. That was an awesome car. Scotty and I had a great time. Mm. And but, it was. It was. Just, it was. Can I, uh, that's more than two words, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but you can elaborate. Look, it was a whole group of young guys. We all worked together for twelve months to put that together, and that just came together. It just was. It was it was like the perfect storm, the right opportunity. It the was right quite time. literally the perfect storm and at the end of that race. Ended, <laughs> I mean, our car realistically then it started snapping the sump bolts out of it, so we pitted already, topped it up with oil. So it was you were in, oil. You're we in were trouble gone. street. We were you weren't going to make it a full distance we race. Making the race. Have you revealed this before anywhere? <laughs> Let me tell you, that thing was not going more than four laps longer. Like it was, it was running out of life. We kept topping it up with oil and sending it, but we had enough of a lead. And then, of, of course, the weather. Red flag, you know. Scott ended up in the same pile up as Jimmy, you know. Like it was just, it was just crazy. So, um, and with the red flag count back, but with the winners here, have a class trophy. Nice. My first in a car that was about to go, but boom, it was never going to make the 161 laps. I can assure you. <laughs> but it was a good little car. Good little great, car. Great little era of racing too for Group A. Uh, top ten shootout. We've got two more things to go. Greg Murphy. Yeah, a legend. I mean, four Bathurst wins. Lap of the gods. It's hard to argue. Good bloke. Ben Barguana, the last one. Superstar. <laughs> Does help that he's listening to us at the moment as well. In the making. <laughs> just with brackets around it. And he's going to be the co-driver of Bathurst. I better talk him up a bit. You better talk him up. You've got to look after your co-driver for mm. Bathurst. Give him lots of laps. Get him nice and ready. Good to go for that 500K injury. That's whether I'll be his co-driver next year. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, let's see how this year goes. We'll wait and see. Uh, Barks, a pleasure. Thanks for sitting down with us and running down memory lane a little bit. And uh, I hope our V8 Sleuth followers and listeners have probably heard a few stories they've heard before, but a few that they haven't as well. So thanks for sitting down. Pleasure. Anytime. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Jason Barguana for joining the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken. We've got plenty more great chats lined up this year as we partner with Timken to bring you 40 episodes, yes, 40 episodes across the 2020 motorsport season. We've also got plenty of exciting projects on the go here at V8 Sleuth HQ with our new book on the Bathurst 12-hour now available to pre-order. Jump to our online store and you can find out about Bathurst Going Global, the book that charts the rise of the event in its international stature since it changed to GT3 sports cars in 2011. It's edited by Richard Crowell, the voice of the 12-hour, and it has a photo of every single car to attempt the race between 2011 and 2020, including all the cars that didn't quite make it to the start line on Sunday mornings. Head to the V8 Sleuth website and click on the Store tab on the menu, and you can pre-order the book now. 
If you're enjoying the V8 Salute podcast, make sure to leave us a review to help spread the word. Keep an eye on our website and, of course, all of our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date. Until then, hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll catch you next time on the V8 Salute podcast, powered by Timken. For the latest in Australian and World Rally news, join me, Luke Whitten, from Rally Sport Magazine on the Special Stage Rally Podcast every week. It's news, insight and analysis with big names in the sport joining us regularly to talk rallying of all sorts. Catch the Special Stage Rally Podcast now, available via the Motorsport Podcast Network on all your regular podcast apps.